Good afternoon. This is Faber McMullen. And this is Sandy McMullen. Hey guys, we're so glad to be with you all today. And today we're going to be doing the part three of our series on spiritual warfare. And we're going to talk about the struggles that we have with the world and what worldliness means. And uh, I think I wanted to start by uh, saying the focal passage of today's message is Romans 12, 1 through 2, which says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, to which is your spiritual service of worship. Now listen, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Sandy, would you please pray? Um, dear Jesus, thank you for giving us the privilege to come to you today I pray that you would bless all the hearts listening today um, by podcast. I pray that your word will go forth as we speak about these issues of the world and the flesh and the devil, that you will give us wisdom, that you'll give us comfort, that you'll give us tools with which to live more like you would want us to live. And Lord Jesus, I just pray that you'd bless this message now. In your name I pray, amen. Cheer up, my brothers, live in the sun. 
will understand it all by and by. So if you have your Bibles, you might want to open them there to that Romans chapter 12. And uh, let me set this guitar down and we're going to just kind of review what we've talked about in 1 and 2. In our first week of spiritual warfare, we talked and we summarized, and, and I think the main thing, Sandy, that first week was that when we study the subject of spiritual warfare, we need to be very careful to look at what the Bible says and not add to it and not try to or take away from it, but just look exactly to what the Bible says. And tell us what you said there the other day about experiences in the Bible. Well, I think what we need to do is everybody has these, quote, spiritual experiences. And we make a mistake when we try to define or interpret the Bible by our experiences rather than taking our experiences and having the Bible help us interpret them. So we should be relying on the Bible as a, our source of truth and everything should fall into place according to what the Bible says. Thanks. And we talked that first week about how we're warriors in this fight and that whether we know we're in a fight or not, we are in a spiritual battle. We're in spiritual warfare. And we're going to see all that the Bible uh, has to say about this. We learned that Satan has already lost this war. He has been condemned. He's been condemned to the lake of fire, uh, the Bible tells us. But the sentencing phase, we might say, if we talk about it in legal terms, has been suspended until the end of time. And then also, uh, we studied that that uh, human beings uh, were meant to rule the earth and that they gave that, that right up when they sinned in the garden. And so Satan has now been become what the Bible calls the prince of the air, or even a god, little g, here on earth. In week two, which was last Sunday, we talked about cho choices that change eternity. <clears throat> and we looked first about how God had created this beautiful being that we now call Satan. He was Lucifer, light bearer. He made a choice. He made a choice to rebel. Uh, one third of the angels of heaven, uh, scholars believe, also followed him. And they made a choice to rebel against the Lord. And then God, at some point, uh, later in eternity past, he made man. And when he made man, man was put in the garden. Man was given some rather simple instructions. And man, uh, man and woman, I might say, Eve was beguiled. She was beguiled by the serpent who had come, and the serpent was none other than Satan. And Satan traded them alive for, instead of the blessings which they had given, been given to the Lord. So they too chose to sin. And when they did, <clears throat> sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, it made this three kind of this three-part attack that comes on every believer in the world, and that is the world, the flesh, and the devil. So last week in church, we studied how the devil became the devil, how how Satan came into being, and then this evening, and then on Sunday, we're going to look at what it means to be worldly. What is worldliness? And I think it's kind of hard, really, to as I, as I begin to write some of these notes. Uh, Sandy, I realize that it's kind of hard to get your, your mind around exactly what worldliness me means. So before we get into that, why don't you read 1 John 2, 15 through 17? Yes, I'll do that. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. And worldliness is kind of a complicated subject, like I said. And, and because we don't understand it real well, I think we as believers are subject to be swayed by the world. We don't realize what's happening to us while it's happening. Uh, sometimes evangelicals, or we, some might be called fundamentalists, they, they think of worldliness as, you know, smoking cigarettes or drinking alcohol or dancing or these kinds of sexual sins or, or gossiping. And they think of that as, you know, like being worldly sins. But those are really sins of the flesh. They shouldn't be confused with what we mean and what John means by worldliness. Worldliness is wrapped up in our thinking and our attitudes. Uh, the biblical concept of worldliness has more to do, Sandy, with a way of thinking. And it's a way of thinking, as John said, that is contrary to the mindset of God. And throughout history, different philosophies have come up, and they've always seemed attractive. You know, just like right. when right. Satan came to Eve there in the garden, I think you pointed out last week in our podcast that she looked on this thing, and it was beautiful, and she looked at it as a way that she could have gained wisdom. It wasn't ugly and sordid. And so these different philosophies come up, and, and it's kind of funny that in one generation, worldliness might involve some trend, you know, that might be like to some kind of hyper-morality. And another, it might be where everybody runs from anything spiritual. Uh, but, but worldliness is just the way that the world is thinking. And it's to be contrasted with what, you know, the author, Robbie Dean, calls divine viewpoint. We have human viewpoint of things versus divine viewpoint. And the human viewpoint is the way that the world sees things. Uh, why don't you read us this uh, quote out of Robbie Dean's book, Spiritual Warfare? Okay. Worldliness is best understood as an overall philosophy of life or way of thinking that stirs up the flesh to indulge in specific sins such as sexual immorality, drunkenness, gossip, or unrighteous arrogance. Worldliness is a way of thinking about life that is contrary to the biblical way or divine viewpoint. Worldliness may contain a large amount of truth, yet its overall makeup and foundation is divorced from scriptural authority. As such, worldliness provides a rationale for sin, and it is often associated with false teachings that blind people to the truth and lead them away from God. And maybe you can comment on what uh, Pastor Dean says there about what exactly, like in layman's terms for our kids, how, how, how would that resonate with them? What would you say? Well, I think that the, there's a good thing among the younger generation, and that is they want to write past wrongs, okay? People want to write past wrongs that have done, been done to people of color or people that are in, um, like, a, at, at not in an advantageous position, okay? So, but is the way to get those, to right those wrongs, is it really the way that some people have been taking? And you have to think about, yes, it's true, people have been wronged in the past, and it's true that it is good for us to want to help people and to want to correct these things that are wrong. But you have to consider the path you're taking. Are you taking a path that's leading to death and destruction and heartbreak? 
or are you taking a path that leads to peace and prosperity for these people and that you're a, trying to and help? taking a scriptural path. That's right, exactly. Yeah, that's the important thing. Um, if you're breaking the law, if you're breaking biblical principles, whatever you're doing is not worth the... Um, it's not worth the goal that you're trying to achieve. I remember back when abortion clinics first opened up and you would have these well-meaning people that would want to blow them up with bombs, okay? Um, however you stand on the abortion issue, according to the Bible, abortion is killing, abortion is murder, okay? And so the people that felt good about going and destroying these um, abortion clinics they felt like they were really helping God out, but that is not the way God would have had them pursue that path. Yeah. Well, let's go on here. James, the brother of Jesus, is clear that friendship with the world is hostility towards God. Paul's letter to the Romans, as we just read when we started, also tells us specifically we are not to be conformed to the world. I remember a few years ago, we had an Amish settlement that came through here, and I discussed with them and talked to them. They were here in Whitehall about uh, about how to not be conformed with the world. And they, they focused on the clothing that they wore that wouldn't be like the world. They spoke a language that the rest of us didn't speak. And that was their idea of not being conformed with the world. But what I think Paul is after here is getting at, he's getting to, at the point that believers must not con conform his or her thinking to the norms and standards of the world. It Really, our clothes don't matter. I mean, they matter at some point if we're going to, run around half naked or something. But right. the thing Paul's after is is that we must be on guard with our minds. Spiritual battle is a battle to control your mind, and it rages. So we need to be on guard and cleanse our mind of worldly thinking. And the world projects ideas like mysticism, uh, idealism, and, and I'll talk about idealism in a minute. Communism would be a kind of idealism. And relativism, and all of these, these world-thinking type things keep cropping up over and over and over again. They just change their appearance like each generation. And right, they come up and they're right. the same thing, trying to solve problems by excluding God and biblical truth. And the probably the earliest one that we see is, I can't remember, I think it's in Genesis chapter 11, we have the account of the Tower of Babel, which is really interesting. You read it and basically this great grandson of Noah, whose name was Nimrod, uh, people gathered around him. He was a strong man, kind of a strong guy. And they ended up trying to build this tower as one people sort of to reach to the heavens, okay? And, you know, it's kind of weird when you read it because you think, well, what's wrong about building a tower? And it says that God came down and actually confused their language because they all had one language. You might think of it as sort of the first United Nations. It was man showing up thinking that they were going to find a way without God to take care of all of their problems. And uh, I, I looked up the Jewish Theological Seminary website just to see what rabbis had to say about it. And this is really interesting. This, I'm quoting them. The building of the tower was an act of rebellion born out of, the pros born out of prosperity. In the phrase, and they settled there, we're talked about they settled in the land, the rabbis could feel a tone of finality where they settled there, they got comfortable, and they ended their wanderings because they'd come on a land that was bursting with blessings. Yet what God had intended for good quickly became the source of their downfall. They thought, we're so great, we're so prosperous, we don't need God. And the rabbis went on to say that the self-satisfaction 
fed their arrogance. And it's kind of funny. Uh, one of the rabbis said, a full stomach is the source of much evil. Meaning, when we have all this satisfaction and our, and our flesh is satisfied, we end up thinking up these schemes. And that's what the world did at that earliest point. Worldliness always centers around arrogance and self. It cries out that mankind has better solutions than God does for man's problems. It never also, never uh, acknowledges the idea that sin exists, that sin is doing things contrary to what God would have us do. And part of this idealism, and some of you young people have never even studied this, was in the early part of the 1900s, a guy named Karl Marx wrote something called the Communist Manifesto. And it, the idea was that if we can get down to get God out of the picture and these silly superstitions that man can create a system where everybody has equal stuff and it was kind of an idealism. Like because they said that religion is what divided the world and religion right. is what was bad in so the So if world. we get rid of religion, then we'll all get along. But what they did was they put themselves in charge and then made slaves out of all the rest. And the way this happens is when a group like that puts society over the individual, it's directly contrary to what Scripture says. Scripture is clear that man and women were made in God's image, and communism minimized the individual and empowered the whole society. It said society as a whole is more important than individuals. And God says individuals are important because they're made in God's image, and if they are living right and living by God's rules, then society will be a, a good place and an orderly place to live in. Do you see the right? Yeah. The way? So it's a backwards thinking, but some people might think, yeah, you know, I'm kind of poor. I'd like to have what everybody else has. And so it, it's an attractive thing that's a big lie. And the problem with it was these countries they set up, and I'm thinking particularly of communist China and of the Soviet Union, ended up being the worst things that have ever happened to human beings. Hundreds of millions of people, guys, were slaughtered in this utopia. And so that is the fruit of what happened. And you know it's diabolical because I said uh, last Sunday is that death, destruction, and disease all came through sin entering into the world. So right. man's right. solution of communism supposedly to get rid of envy and get rid of strife. And to take care of everybody and nobody having to... Um, be responsible for themselves because the whole of society was responsible for them. Right. And in and, and, and venerating individuals, meaning in, in God uplifting individuals, also what went along with that was the right of holding private property. We see even in the Torah, Abraham going and buying, you know, buying a grave for Sarah, remember? Right, exactly. And, and he buys it and, and God ordains this and it's, and it's property rights and these sort of things is, is what holds a structure together and they are God principles. And communism tried to turn that on its head and ended up with a disaster. It was horrible. It was, like I said, wholesale slaughter. And anyone now that differs from opinions in China, like our Christian brothers and sisters, they're being persecuted. They are. Anybody they're can disappearing. Google that. Google Christians in China and see what the, the kinds of things that are happening to those people there. And I'm thinking about the disasters in the in the... In the name of wonderful world idealism, disasters, go, go look up, y'all, the Soviet Union. Go look up, uh, or suffering under the Soviet Union, China, Venezuela, Cuba, and North Korea is such a dysfunctional place that people have to sit and act like robots to worship this Kim Sung-il or whatever his name is at this point. So Satan cooks these things up, people buy into them, and they are the worldliness 
that Scripture's talking about. And these lies end up coming through generation after generation after generation. Another one right around the time of communism was National Socialism, which is known as Nazism. Right. And the idea was, hey, what's good for me is to get rid of all the people that I don't agree with. I'm going to get rid of the Christians. I'm going to get rid of the Jews. I'm going to get rid of the homosexuals. I'm going to get rid of the people with mental disorders and right. mental retardation. And, and physical uh, ailments. Yeah. And, and uh, so Hitler and his cronies wanted to build this perfect society. How? At the expense of brutality against all the rest of the people. And they really thought that they could uh, put together this human, this race of people that would be su superior to every other race. Sandy mentioned earlier this whole idea of being woke in America, and I want to address that for a second. It's the same philosophies cooked up again. And I went back this week and I did a study on where that woke in America idea came from. All right. And it came, and, and, and it's an idea that. This idealism now is that, hey, we, we've got to make a better society. Things have got to be fairer. And they throw around words like social justice, and they never define exactly what social justice is. If you look at the fruit of what it is, they're on the streets of Portland burning down buildings right, right. in the it, name it, of social justice. It starts out with a good idea, which is, yes, it's great if everybody can be treated equally. Yeah. And Let's make the police more nice, and then we go and we're going to burn buildings. It, it, things get out of control, and it's chaos and Satan is behind it. The philosophy that we're talking about, this woke in America, argues, and listen to this, guys, it's called critical theories. You're going to hear more and more about it. You've heard of critical race theory, critical legal theory, and what it's really saying is people are not responsible for what happens to them, that there is a system that's oppressive, that's mean, that does horrible things, and so you really don't have much voice in the outcome of your life. And also that you don't have personal responsibility for how you conduct your life. Exactly. And that what, you have an excuse to do whatever you want to because you haven't been treated fairly or whatever. And how is this counter to the Bible? What did we study just a month ago in service on Sunday morning? Whatever a man sows, that, that will he will reap. also reap. That's that right. is a God principle that this new woke America movement or what is called critical theories throws out, and that is how it is contrary to God's Word. It focuses and it says that people have problems because of cultural assumptions. That's a word, and their buzzword for that is racism, okay? Yes, there has been racism in the past, but racism isn't the only reason that people have problems and can't get ahead. And it says that those are the kind of over oppressing forces that... that hold people down instead of individual or psychological factors. And I am quoting that exactly out of critical thinking philosophy that you can look up on Wikipedia. So that is a pervasive world thinking. That's worldliness, okay? And as we just said, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will reap. And think of all of the scriptures filled with God-ordained concepts of personal responsibility, industriousness, and I can think of one right there. If a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. Exactly. That and means that you have the responsibility to get out and work. And to take care of yourself. And I just want to mention one more thing, too. You know, God doesn't always pay us back in <coughs> status and money and power, okay? And and so what happens is people, people get a skewed idea of what it really means to be successful. And they and because God can pay you back in things that money can't buy. You can have peace of mind. You can have 
there's just so many things God can give give us that it doesn't necessarily have to be just finances or these things that people feel like they're lacking in their life. They don't realize what all God has given them. Worldliness is almost always introduced to us as something beautiful, it's desirable, and it's enlightening. Mm -hmm. That's how the world paints this stuff. It paints it and promises something, guys, that the world cannot offer. Remember when Eve was in the garden? It says it was when she... When Satan came to her and made an offer to her, it says it was a delight to the eyes and desirable to make one wise. That's talking about Eve. And she was ready and willing and able to sin when she began to look at things from Satan's point of view instead uh -huh. of the point of view that God had given her. John went on, as we read earlier, and said that the world system, and in, in Greek we use the word cosmos, it's all that is in the world and it's comprised of lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We're, we're getting a little bit short on time, but I want to talk about this and just say, you know, the lust of the flesh is the philosophy that the world pumps out that, hey, if something feels good, do it. And I want to tell you something. The thing promised to feel so good, it never really feels that good. It never satisfies. Right. I've spoken to folks who have been addicted to drugs, and some of y'all maybe even listening have, and you know that that drug didn't deliver what it was promised. You might have had this amazing high the first time you tried it, but after that, you were chasing that same high. It is a lie. The world promises lies. Uh, the other thing is the, the thing, it, it never satisfies. When Satan promises fleshly fulfillment, it never satisfies. Drugs don't bring that relief that they promise or that euphoria. Sorted sex or illicit sex, I'm thinking of homosexuality and the things that where people get off into deviant behavior, it never brings the lasting excitement and satisfaction that it promises to bring, ever. Well, and I just want to point out, my sister and I were talking, that's why I was talking about what you, uh, you know, you don't see the blessings that God gives. My sister was in a work situation where she always did the honest thing, and because that, she did not, not get promoted like the, the bad people that she was working with, you know, the people that were willing to bend the rules and, and all this. And we were talking about this just the other day. I said, but look at your life. I said, yes, people were promoted ahead of you because you were obeying God. And you, you have to realize that God has a stake in this too, that he really wants us, he really wants to help us get beyond these fleshly things. And, and just following along with the crowd is one of these things, Faber doesn't have it listed, but that's one of those things too, just going along with the crowd and not really standing up for what's right. And even material abundance, like, you know, the, the world tells you, man, if you can just get enough money in your 401k plan, you'll, you'll be secure. And I'm telling you, I don't think there's enough money in the world to make anybody feel totally secure, you know? Um, material abundance never gives the total security that wealth promises. Money and education can't ever give us the status that we crave or that we feel right. we want to be somebody right. with significance and worth. If we indulge our fleshly lusts, to satisfy its desires, sadly, they are never sated. That means you're never satisfied. I've told some of the young men when I've counseled them that one of the greatest horrible things about pornography, when they get in, engaging in it and they get addicted to it, is it doesn't satisfy. It's just it's like drinking salt water from the ocean that's going to make you thirstier and thirstier, and your thirst will never be slaked. So in contrast... The believer is called to live a life of love towards God that transforms everything about our lives. 
the cosmic system, the world system, hates God and everyone who's aligned with him. And we know that from John 15, 19. Right. It's because the principles of the world are diametrically opposed to the fundamental principles of being a believer and being a Christ follower. That's why we have to run from the influences of the world and worldliness. Um, I think that's saying most of what we wanted to say. Uh, I think I would end just by saying that the pride of life is often seen in the world's quest for human knowledge. You know, it's like more philosophies and more teaching and more learnings. Yeah, could we have more, uh, you know, all of this human knowledge seeking than the Internet? And, of course, sometimes that's skewed and slanted. But we have more knowledge I would at our say fingertips it always today. is slanted yeah, unless you're we, looking at something in Scripture. But we always, I mean, we, we have never had this kind of knowledge at our fingertips. And knowledge is worthless if you don't have the wisdom of the Lord. The right. Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge is acquiring things that you know. Wisdom is knowing what to do with what you know. Right. And But we have this drive to understand ourselves as humans. We get into all kinds of philosophies and all sorts of psychological approaches to understand and solve human problems. And the root of the problems are spiritual. And the Lord wants to do a healing in everyone's life. Um, so many of the problems that we get into originate out of our own sinful selves. But the world denies that sin even exists. The world doesn't even believe sin exists, okay? Or they think that the, the idea that sin exists is part of the problem, actually. And the world is sitting us telling us that, that if it feels good, do it. And so you have the, the pride of life. Be, be boastful, be arrogant about your status and the things that you've done. And the Bible is telling us something different. I remember when I was practicing law, I would have... Sometimes someone would come and they would be going through a divorce and visit with me. And I, I heard so many kind of dysfunctions, it was mind-boggling. And I remember a cheater sometimes telling me, someone who had maybe cheated on their spouse, they said, you know, I was with this other person. It felt so right. I felt so much love. How could it be wrong? How could that not be what I was supposed to be doing? And it reminded me of, the, I think it was a pop song when we were kids. And it said, uh, remember the woman said... Uh, 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 if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. You know, if giving all my love to a married man, if and it could be a married woman or a married man, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Well, you know what? They're not right because the Bible's clear and it describes that activity like that is following self in, instead of following God's standards for righteous living. And we're called to follow God's standards for righteous living. So this week, guys, it's beware of the world. Don't right. be conformed to the world. But let your mind be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how is your mind renewed? It's by uh, praying and by reading the Word. It's and, by... and, and letting the Word infiltrate your heart and your mind and your soul and letting it become part of you and letting it be the critic of your thoughts and the intents of your heart, as we've uh, said so many times before, you know, from Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is alive and powerful. So get into the Word and let it be the guard for you against worldliness. Exactly, exactly. So we're going to talk more about this on Sunday or we're going to have a repeat. But uh, we love you guys. We miss you. And uh, we just pray that you'll have a wonderful rest of your week. And I'm going to ask you if you would please close us in prayer. Okay, well then I'll close us. Okay. <laughs> Lord, we come before you and we thank you that you're a God in whom we can depend. And Lord, you've given us your word upon what we, we can depend. And so Lord... Help us as a congregation to be more tuned and to be aware 
of worldliness that is bombarding our brains and our minds. And Lord, it's trying to pull us away from you and attract us to the things of the world that, Lord, do not satisfy. Help us, Lord. I pray for everyone listening to this that you would, even now, guard their heart with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, let us remain pure and be the servants that you want us to be and that we can follow you faithfully. And Lord, just all bring us safe, bring us all safely to your house there at Union Grove Baptist Church on Sunday. And Lord, we give you praise and honor and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And Lord Jesus, I just want to add that you would please encourage people, that you would help the scales fall from their eyes, that they can see when they're when they're being lied to by the world, that you'll give them the ears, the wisdom to hear what the truth is and to the heart to seek it out, to seek out the truth in your word and in, in good, solid teaching, Lord. And I just lift up all these precious people, Lord. We love them. We love you. Thank you for bringing us together and what you're doing there at Union Grove Baptist Church. Amen. Amen, amen.